This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 12, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Orders regarding cash for the unemployed, student loan payments, and home evictions emanating from the White House over the weekend have the suspicious look of legislation, normally and properly the role of Congress. So what did these orders include, and are they proper? And if they are, is it another case of Congress handing its own power over to the executive with the predictable results? Cato's Gene Healy comments. I, years ago, remember conservatives complaining about Barack Obama's uh, claim that he has a pen and a phone, and those are extremely uh, powerful weapons. And uh, now we have some Republicans appearing to not have that much of a problem with the president of the United States spending uh, billions of dollars uh, without their input, without their approval. Right. I mean, we already knew uh, President Trump had a phone uh, from his uh, the fresh hell of his Twitter feed every morning. Uh, he has discovered that he has a pen, much like Barack Obama uh, with his pen and phone initiative in his second term. Uh, so what happened uh, over the weekend was after uh, negotiations about uh, extending portions of the the CARES Act uh, that were set to expire or had already expired, like the $600 a week in supplemental unemployment payments. Uh, after the negotiations with uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, stalled out, uh, President Trump went uh, back to the pen and the phone and signed four presidential directives, one, a, one executive order and uh, three presidential memoranda, if the technical details matter. And two out of those four are pretty uncontroversial. Uh, is actually, the executive order is the one that does the least that's on evictions and foreclosures, basically just tells HUD and Treasury to look for legal avenues to provide relief for renters and homeowners. There's another one uh, deferring student loan payments through the end of the year. It's pretty clear that uh, Congress directly de- delegated that authority. Uh, so that one's not legally controversial. But then there are these other two, uh, deferring payment of payroll taxes for most workers through the end of the year and uh, unilaterally boosting unemployment payments uh, where you start to see the problem. Because you know we typically think uh, you know, Schoolhouse Rock hasn't been the way it it, uh, it's worked for a long time, but we typically think major budgetary and tax policy decisions are constitutionally a job for Congress or Congress and the president uh, to the extent that the president's role is to sign or veto laws. That's where he gets his leverage, not by uh, ideally by striking out on his own. But here you have these vast changes to the tune of billions of dollars in revenue and expenditure, and they're being made, uh, well, as as uh, I think it was Paul Begala in the Clinton administration said, stroke of the pen, law of the land, kind of cool. So uh, what authority is the president relying on to suspend, or I should say defer, because it's not these taxes are will be collected at some point. Uh, what authority is he relying on to defer payroll taxes? There is a statutory authority for deferring tax payments in a presidentially declared disaster. It's actually the same thing they used to defer the tax filing deadline from April 15th to July 15th this year. Uh, in this case, the deferrals 
really broad. It applies to anyone who makes less than $100,000 a year, I think, uh, which is basically most Americans. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding it, though. Uh, if you read the memorandum, it sounds like the Treasury Secretary is supposed to issue regulations that uh, defer uh, the withholding of the employee contribution, 6.2%. Uh, but the one thing they can't do that they don't have statutory authority to do is to uh, uh, remove the obligation ultimately from uh, the employer to be on the hook for it at the end of the year. Uh, then he's also said and tweeted about forgiving the whole thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, who likes taxes? But uh you know, unless you're going to make corresponding cuts to entitlements, uh, the money has got to come from from somewhere. What about writing four hundred dollar checks to Americans? Yeah, this one's kind of complicated. Uh, the way it's supposed to work is he's tapping the federal disaster relief fund for up to forty four billion dollars. Uh, the federal government's supposed to, you know, it, maybe it's three hundred dollars because the federal government is supposed to provide 75% of the funds and the states are supposed to be on the hook for a hundred for a hundred dollars out of every $400. Uh, there's some question of whether the feds are going to be able to, to foot the whole tab, uh, by letting the states take their quarter of it out of a different relief fund, the federal coronavirus relief fund. Um, here again, there's a, there's at least a, a fig leaf of statutory authorization. There's a provision of the Stafford Act that allows the president uh, to provide financial assistance in uh, to victims of a major disaster. Uh, but there's also another provision of that act that specifically addresses unemployment assistance. And it says that those payments are only supposed to go to people who aren't entitled to other employment payments. And what the feds pay out can't be more than the maximum weekly amount authorized by the state. And that's not at all what this is supposed to do. It's supposed to uh, replace that $600 CARES Act payment uh, that expired at the end of last month. It's supposed to add to what people are already getting from the states. And the way they seem to be trying to get a, around this in the president's memorandum is relabeling, uh, sort of cute wordplay they're calling the payments uh, lost wages assistance instead of uh, unemployment compensation, which is a distinction without a difference. Uh, but I, I think we can get too lost in the legal weeds and too hung up on the on the technicalities. What's really happened here is uh, you know, a budget and relief package uh, legislative neg negotiations broke down, and the president is striking out on, on his own as if he, uh, by right, exercises a great deal of, of authority over the budget process without Congress. Uh, yeah, and, le and legal technicalities aside, this isn't the first time this president has done that. He, when negotiations broke down over uh, the funding of his border wall, um, he struck out on his own to try to move funds from one place to get that project funded. Right. And there again, with the uh, border wall emergency declaration, you could get hung up on the provisions of, you know, the acts that he, he invoked, you know, this military construction assistance act, you know, you could parse the language, but 
I think that misses the big picture, which is gridlock isn't supposed to be a grant of power to the president. Gridlock is supposed to be, uh, you know, this is the president that's uh, continually bragged about his facility with deal making. Uh, you know, when negotiations are stalemated, you're supposed to keep negotiating, uh, you know, not uh, you know, wave your scepter and, uh, you know, find loose change in uh, uh, an already swollen budget uh, to get to do an end run around Congress and, and get what they weren't willing to appropriate for you. Yeah. And even if none of this holds up, um, or at least the, the more controversial items here that aren't not specific delegations of authority to the White House, it definitely changes the negotiating position. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons they're, they're doing it. But again, the president's leverage is supposed to be constitutional. Uh, he can say, I won't, I'll veto any bill that comes in over this amount or that doesn't have these conditions attached to it. Um, that's where his constitutional power is supposed to come from. It's not supposed to come from, uh, you know, clever readings of, uh, of uh, statutory language that he might be able to get away with. The funny thing is, uh, you know, the uh, unitary executive people, the uh, strong presidency people love to quote Hamilton about uh, energy in the executive from uh, the Federalist 70. And if you read Federalist 70, one of the things that, uh, that one of the reasons Hamilton says that energy in the executive is important is because it leads to steady administration of the laws. Uh, doesn't seem to me it's doing that. Uh, you know, how, how is the steady administration of the laws working out here when the president can make uh, decisions of, the, of this scope, uh, you know, just by waving a pen around? So, uh, assuming we'd like to blame earlier presidents, where should we lay the blame? You know, we, people do this all the time. And, uh, you know, I do it some myself, uh, not for purposes of uh, trying to offload the, bl the blame on prior presidents, but putting things in historical perspective. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, Barack Obama rewrote the Affordable Air Care Act on the fly. He ignored uh, clear statutory deadlines. Uh, he found billions of dollars of loose change in the Pentagon budget so he could keep bombing Libya in a war that Congress never authorized. He uh, spent uh, billions of dollars that Congress never even appropriated for uh, cost-sharing subsidies uh, under Obamacare. Uh, you know, if you want to play whataboutism, we go back further. George W. Bush uh, spent billions of dollars bailing out GM and Chrysler using TARP money immediately after Congress voted down an auto bailout bill. Uh, and his spokesman at the time said that, well, you know, Congress uh, just lost its opportunity to be a partner because they couldn't get their job done. So if Congress doesn't pass a bill that the president wants, they've lost their opportunity to be a, a partner. That's, that's not the way this is supposed to work. And even though you can go back and uh, cast blame on other horrible presidents, so what? You know, corruption is a process and there's uh, plenty of rottenness on both sides. If your first instinct is the, you know, the other guy did it too, then you're part of the problem. You're, you're one of the reasons we can't have nice things like a Republican form of government. Uh, it's, 
it's a sad debate to be having. I mean, it, like the debate over who started it is sort of like the the debate that's going on now between Trump and Biden supporters over uh, which candidate is more senile. Uh, at a certain point, you have to stay, take a step back and look at the the big picture and say, wait, you know, what can we do about this? Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.